So I've got to tell you a little bit about what's going on in our house right now. We are um, in the process, and I'll say process, of uh, renovating our kitchen. If you've ever renovated something in your house, um, you know that it is a truly a process. And so uh, I would say we're having surgery in the middle of our house, because in our house, our floor plan, our kitchen is the middle of our house, but it's also the center of our house uh, figuratively in that that's where a lot of the conversations, a lot of the gathering happen in our house. And so we've, we've been ripping off um, cabinet doors and rearranging things and um, tearing off tile and doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And so as we were on Wednesday night, it became a, a real reality that we were doing this because on Wednesday night, we took off all of our cabinet doors and all of our drawers. And then all those cabinets and drawers threw up on our dining room. Um, and so all that stuff that was in there went in there. And so now just our house is just this hodgepodge of, of things that don't know where they're going and what they're doing. And so uh, I, I want to give you a picture, though. I want to show you a couple pictures. My wife gave me approval to show you these, all right? These are our cabinets post-cleanup, all right? So some of you are like, that's post? Yeah, that's post, all right? A couple of our cabinets there. We're not going for the natural look. We just haven't got our doors back, all right? Um, now, here's, here's an honest cabinet. The next one is, is an honest cabinet. It's the, it's the cabinet right when you walk in our house. It's the cabinet right when you walk in your house. It's the drawer or the cabinet that takes all the junk, okay? And it's the one that if you can get the door shut, and it stays shut, and the Tupperware doesn't fall out, then you succeeded, right? So in this cabinet, there is Tupperware. Um, I'm pretty sure some of it was left from a church social. If it was yours, it's not, no longer yours, all right? Um, and uh, we've got Tupperware in there. We've got makeup. We've got coupons that were outdated me in there. We've got coupons. We've got bowls. We've got a crepe maker. We've got a crock pot. We, I think we had a salad shooter or something like that in there. One of those things that you think is going to be a good idea. And it winds up in the cabinet, shoved into the back, all the way back there. And so all of a sudden, we start cleaning this out going, what in the world? Why do we have some of this? Anybody else have a cabinet like that? A drawer like that? Or a house like that? Somebody said a house, all right? You, you know what I'm talking about. You start cleaning it out. And then all of a sudden, well, Wednesday night and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, when I walk into my house, and even today, when I walk in, I'm going to realize that nothing is hidden. It's all there for anybody who walks in to see, right? You see it. I mean, I just showed it to you, everybody, all right? It's all there for you to see, all in its beauty, all in its disaster, all in its mess, whatever you may call it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is preaching one giant sermon to the people. First message that he's given and delivering to the people. And in this message, here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to open the cabinets of our hearts, and he's going to move stuff around. He's going to look back in the back of the cabinet. He's going to say, did you know this was still here? Did you, did you know you had this tucked away? I know that your actions that we saw in chapter 5, chapter 5 is all about actions. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek. Be salt. Be light. Go public. Share your faith. Be active. And then in chapter 6, he takes the cabinet doors off of our heart, you know, pushes things aside, and he says, but did you, what's your motive? Why are you doing what you are doing with your faith? Why are you participating in certain activities? Why are you doing those things that I've commanded you in chapter 5? Why are you doing those? What is the intention of 
your heart. And just like it's painful to walk into my kitchen right now, there's parts of today's passage and even into the next few weeks that as we've said all along, if there's some part of the Sermon on the Mount that does not hit you, then we're missed out. Because Jesus impacts every single one of us with his words. So today, the doors are coming off, all right? We're going to look into the heart, not so much the action, but the attitude behind the action. Today, we're going to see if our actions and our attitudes are in unison. Because if our actions and our attitudes are in unison, then we can bring glory to God. If our actions are self-centered, then they bring glory to us. If our actions are, our, our attitudes are selfish, then they bring glory to ourselves. And here Jesus is going to show us, here's an action, here's an attitude, does it match? Now, there's a little bit of understanding that we need to get when we move from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Now understand, in Jesus' teaching, he, didn't cheap, he did not teach in chapter and verse. He just taught. Later on, chapter and verse have been added, so this was one message all given together. There's no break here between chapter 5 and 6, but as they go, went back and they put this so that we could comprehend it and understand it, there's a break there, chapter 5 and 6, and let me explain a little bit about what's taking place there. Chapter 5, you have in chapter 5, you have be the salt, be the light, right? Don't put the light under a bushel. Don't put a cover over the light. You are salt of the earth. Impact the earth. Reach out. Show your faith. Exercise your faith. Be salt. Be light. Chapter 6 is not contradictory, but the first time you read it, you may think that it is because Jesus says, pray in secret, give in secret, pray in secret, give in secret, fast in secret, do all these things in secret. Well, hold it. Chapter 5, salt and light. Go, go out, go tell the world, be an example. Be in secret, be in secret. Now chapter 5, he is addressing those as disciples. He is giving them the mission to say, listen, you are going to have to be salt. You're going to have to be light. You're going to take the message to the world. Do not hide your faith. This is an issue that they would face later on. This is preparing them when they would want to feel like they're going to be cowards or timid in their faith. They can go back to chapter 5 and say, but Jesus told us to be salt and light. Chapter 6, he's going to talk about the attitudes and actions and how they align. He's going to talk about pride. So they're not contradictory. They are bringing the two together, that our purpose is to be salt and light. Our mission is to be salt and light, but our attitudes must align themselves with those actions. So as we see chapter 6, don't go, man, I'm... Let's just see them working in unison to help us remember. Chapter 5 through 7, say it every week we talk through this passage. Chapter 5, chapter five through 7 are Jesus giving his disciples, his followers, a groundwork to, be, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So if we want to impact the world, chapter 5 through 7 shows us to be salt, to be light, but also to do things in the right attitude. So chapter 6 Verse 1 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, oftentimes in the book of Matthew, Jesus takes pointed aim at the Pharisees, a group of religious folks who followed all the rules, who did all the rules, who did everything they could. Notice here, Jesus does not narrow it down to simply the Pharisees. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, he's he's talking to all of us. He's delivering this message to anybody who is a follower of mine who claims to have followed Christ as their salvation, as their Savior. If that's who you are, then beware of practicing your right living, your righteousness, your outward acts of right living before other people in order to be seen by them. Here's what he says. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, in your worship guide, if you didn't grab one on the way out, weigh in, you can grab one on the way out. There's a little chart there. Really helpful for you and I as we go through the week, if you want to go back through and study this passage. Because Jesus has a definite format in chapter 6. It's not a lot of times we see a, a, a real distinct outline of how Jesus teaches. But here, in almost every section, he's going to say, when you, and he's going to address a behavior, don't, and he's going to tell you what not to do, do, and he's going to tell you why, and because. And he's going to do this over and over and over in this chapter as we walk through it. So you can highlight uh, a couple of phrases there and be able to walk through this. You can do that now. You can do that later. Verse 2, thus, when you give, so here's this first thing, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Imagine if we did this today. Imagine in the service, we're about to take up our offering, and you break out a trumpet out of your pocket. You got your offering in the other. Offering plate's coming down, you're like, You see the picture? I mean, it's not hard. You don't need an interpreter here. You don't need a pastor here. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Don't make a big deal. The hypocrites do that. We'll talk about hypocrites in just a moment. They do that in the synagogues, in the streets. And here's their goal. They want to be praised by other people. They want other people to see them. They want to know, oh, wow, did you, did you see how big that envelope was? Did you see how much cash they dropped in there? Did you hear the clanging of that? I mean, he announced that he was blowing the trumpet on his way to church, honking your horn. I got my offering. Here I come. Don't do that. But if you do, know this. People turn their heads going, wow, look at them. That's all the reward you're going to get. Now, I want to be real careful here. Jesus is not saying... You, you give, you pray, you fast so that you get an earthly reward. That may happen, but oftentimes Jesus is speaking towards a heavenly reward or award. More importantly, if we properly give, fast, and pray, then we are rewarded in intimacy with God. So, so, so don't think, oh, okay, well, now we're talking about if we give a big offering, we throw it in, we go home, there's like an envelope with $10,000 in it. No, pastor's not saying that. He said, you, you, you give, you do it in secret, and the Lord's going to reward you with a greater intimacy with him as you give, as you pray. You see, they wanted an outward expression, an outward award. It's not action 
that's, that's being judged here. It's not the action of giving that's being judged here. It's for the purpose of being seen that Jesus has an issue with. So he's making sure to, to bring clarity. The desire to create an impression. They wanted people to think they were virtuous, to think they were self-sacrificing. But in the end, Jesus is saying, they're just doing it because the camera's rolling. You say, well, we, we don't walk into church or we don't go out and do things, Pastor, because... Because we get, we don't, I've never seen anybody in church with a trumpet. 2018, it's called a phone, right? Oh man, I want to make sure somebody sees me do this. I want to make sure somebody sees that I gave this. I want to make sure I'm going live so they know how great I am. Jesus says, if that's your reward, if that's what you're looking for, you're going to get it. But that's all. One of the things I want to say as encouragement to you, last Sunday, was such a heavy Sunday. Uh, I went home, just zapped, uh, something I don't do a lot. I, I mean, I just just passed out for the afternoon, just zapped because of the heaviness, almost the discipline that Scripture gave to us last week. Today, I want to I be an encourager to you. Um, I, I want to say this without ad- acting, acting as if I've got a trumpet in one hand and an offering in the other, but I do want to say something to you as a congregation. You give in a way without asking for recognition. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, I can tell you that that is true of the congregation you're sitting in. I, I've been pastor here for 13 years, and I, I can say with 100% honesty that I've never in all my years of being the pastor here or being on staff here, I've never had someone walk into my office and say, Pastor, I'll write this check for the church if you will do this. Not one single And here's what that does. If that's the attitude that prevails among all the people, then it doesn't matter if we have zero to give because of hardship or difficulty, or we've got 10 or 100, or we give to the needy, or we help out in this way. Whatever way that God calls us to in our private lives, then when we do it in public and we do it collectively, guess what it does? It brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. It gives him the opportunity for us to point to him and say, thank you, God. I'm saying thank you to God that this year we, we didn't budget for a packathon. And next Wednesday we're having a packathon. Because of the faithfulness of a community of believers, we're able to support and do the packathon. And we didn't come back to you and say, can you give more? No, because you've already done it. So see, we collectively get to, to act, but we want to make sure our attitudes align themselves. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. The question here is not what the hand is doing. It's what the heart is feeling when the hand is doing it. I'm going to give you a really bad preacher story, okay? Preacher stories are all supposed to have a good, good ending and make the preacher look good, all right? This is not one of those moments. It was years ago. I don't know if I was the pastor yet or the student minister. It was, it was so long ago that Forsyth Hospital used to have a Krispy Kreme inside, okay? I don't know when that was. I don't know why a hospital has Krispy Kreme inside, kind of counterintuitive. But anyway, so they had a Krispy Kreme inside. And I pull up to the red light, and I look over. I see Forsyth Hospital. I'm pulling into the property, and I see a guy at the Forsyth side of the hospital entrance and I see that when I come out, there's going to be a gentleman sitting there, and I, I couldn't read his sign. He was asking for something, needing something, and so I thought when I went inside, I thought, man, I'm going to get him a cup of coffee and a couple donuts. 
So I go to my car and, and um, you know, start driving out. And I get to the to red light, and he's, he's sitting there. And I roll in my window, and I say, hey, man, I got you a donut, a couple donuts and coffee. And he said, well, I was really hoping for cash. And I went, sip, bite, drive. <laughs> Just like, hey, coffee. Good coffee, good donut. Like, it was bad, okay? It was bad. Sinful, bad moment. Because here's what I know. If I felt led to give to the needy, give. If I didn't feel led to give to the needy, don't. But don't do it for praise or public recognition. Do it because the Lord has called us to give to in that moment. Not to examine the calls, not to examine how, but to simply say, man, this is a calling with responsibility, this is a giving, and I'm going to do this. If we're led to help someone, if I'm led, then help. If my heart pulls at me to say, wow, pastor, you could tell somebody that you, you corrected that. Next week, you could give to somebody. Next week, you could, don't. Well, I could correct this by giving to this person or making sure I give this an off. Don't. He says, let's combat the attitude inside let's open the cabinets i know that you got a house and i know you got action and i know you want to give but let's open up and look inside and see the motives and the intentions of your heart because our actions and our attitudes must be in unison in order to bring glory to god when you give verse five when you pray When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. There's a word that gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it? It gets thrown towards the church. It gets thrown towards followers of Jesus. It gets thrown outside the church to other people. In this context, the the word hypocrites means an actor or a performer, a counterfeit. Someone that is putting on that they are something that they are not. I think there's two groups that Jesus might be addressing here. It could be those who later on would claim to be a follower of Jesus, but they were not. Or a hypocrite can be someone who is not a follower of Jesus, yet they pretend to be. I think it can be both here. But he says, don't be like a hypocrite. Now, this word is tossed around so much outside the church, toward the church. And sadly, many times the assessment's correct. Many times the assessment's correct because no matter what our church is doing or another church is doing, all the churches we kind of at times get lumped together. And somebody says, well, I saw that action from that pastor or that church or that. In those moments, we as believers have to be so careful in our response. Loving, compassionate, because in that moment of being called a hypocrite, we have a chance to let our actions and attitudes give glory to God. One of the greatest opportunities when that comment comes our way is to be able to unpack that, to explore that, to find out where that statement's coming from. But Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites when they pray. For they love, he goes on to say, he says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that you have received, that they have received their reward. 
the religious folks would get on the corner, stand on the street. The Jewish tradition, the Jewish heritage, you've got to understand the context here. The Jewish tradition, they had prayers they prayed at different times of the day. They had prayers they would pray at meals. They had some of the prayers were rote prayers, meaning that they repeated the same prayers. They had prayers that they would recite at weddings, specific prayers for funerals. They had specific prayers for, for very intent, intentional moments. And they gotten to the point, Jesus is saying, the religious, the hypocrites, they stand on the corner and they are professional prayers. And they've got the words, they've got the language, they've got the, the presentation, they've got the body language, they've got it all figured out. But what Jesus is going to place in front of us is that what happens in public must reflect what is taking place in private. Not the other way around. What happens in public needs to reflect what's happening in private. Because he goes on in verse 6 and he says, But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now this is not a verse for you the next time you get called on in a small group to say, well... I can't pray in public. Uh, Matthew 6, 6 tells me that I can't do that. So I'm sorry, but I can't pray in public. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. He's talking about the attitude. If a public prayer is gaining recognition, and that's your intention for prideful, selfish ambition, then back away. But in this moment, he's saying, listen, train yourselves in private. Go into secret, and your Father who sees you in secret, will reward you. These folks stood on the street corners and there was a spiritual show. There's nothing, nothing harder that, to contend with than a, than a spiritual presentation, a stage for a spiritual act. And here it is, prayer. And they're praying and they're lifting up and they're saying all these words. And I could just imagine the people walking around going, man, they're so good at praying. You ever have one of those moments? You go, how, how do they do that? I mean, do they, do they practice that? Do they, do they get that nailed down, like in their private time? I mean, how, where do they get that word? I don't even know what the word means. Their words were so eloquent. They always know how to pray. Jesus says, be, be careful. When you pray, here's another one, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So not the Jewish folks, but now he's catching and reaching around to those Roman folks that may be there and the Gentiles that are there said, don't, don't heap up empty phrases for they think they will be heard for their many words. It's like word count, all right, on a document. <laughs> well, I've got 560. Well, let's go for 600. All right, we got it. Well, last week it was 560. I'm going for 1,000 this week. Do not babble is what he's saying. Don't just stammer in your words and just keep saying empty phrases. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He's calling them to bring prayer back to an intentional relationship and intimacy with Jesus. Not something distant. Not something rote. Next week we'll look at Matthew chapter 6, 9-15. through 15. We'll see that in many ways we've memorized that in opposite of what Jesus was teaching, we've turned that into the prayer instead of the way for us to pray. Jesus is bringing communication back. 
bringing it to the personal, private prayer, alone with the Heavenly Father, He will reward us. And He'll pour out intimacy, wisdom, growth, and maturity. I don't know what age I was when I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of Aldolphus Sandy Cook. He is my sister-in-law's passed away father. Uh, I remember Mr. Sandy Cook. I remember him because the first time we were at their house, uh, he was this Italian guy with seven kids, this huge family. And I remember going over to their house. Of course, we're having spaghetti. He's Italian, right? It just kind of fits. And we're going in and we're praying and he starts to pray. And it was one of these moments that you, you honestly felt like the heavens opened up. He was just praying for the dinner, right? And the heavens are opening up. And, and I mean, just, I mean, just direct line he had with the Lord. And did he have eloquent words? Yeah. Did he, did he quote scripture like just fluently? Yes. Was he praying for public recognition? No. And here's how I know why. Because after I heard him pray, and after for years I watched his relationship with the Lord be public, I watched him and heard of his struggling previously before coming to the Lord with 25 years of addiction to alcohol. And the Lord saving him from that. And heard his love for Scripture, and that when he passed away, he had read through Scripture enough that he had a Bible to give to each of his children and grandchildren that he'd read through. Because what he was doing in private was maturing what he was doing in public. And so when I say he brought the heavens down when he prayed, you knew he was in an intimate relationship with the Lord. And he brought glory to God every time he opened his mouth in prayer but he also brought glory to God in his actions outside of prayer and his actions and his attitudes were hand in hand. Now listen, I, I, I don't share that with you because, but man, pastor, that's not me. I'm, I'm not a good public prayer. Then get in private. I don't know the words to say. Spend time in private. Spend time crying out that very thing. I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure how to pray. It is well with my soul. That's what I got. I'm empty today. I'm broken today. And that personal, private time will give boldness to the public. I read this phrase, or heard this phrase in the last two weeks knowing that this passage was coming, and it says this. I can't remember where I heard it, said it. Don't ask me. I, I tried to find it, all right? We should show when we are tempted to hide. This is in reference. So when do we do this in public? When do we do this in private? We should show when we're tempted to hide. We should hide when we're tempted to show, meaning go public. Well, pastor, when do I pray on public? And when do I give in public? When do I do this in private? It's a great little, uh, little line here to think of. If I feel tempted to hide my faith, then it's probably time to go public with it. But if I feel a prompting in my prideful heart that I need to step up and be the prayer or the worship leader or the person to get all the glory, then I probably need to hide. I probably need to step back in the moment and say, not yet. When I was... 16, I had an occurrence where I faced pride versus humility head on. 
um, shared this with some of you before. I was 16, and I um, had the opportunity to go with my siblings to a competition, if you call it that, Christian competition in Denver, Colorado, Estes Park. And the winner of this competition uh, would get a, a recording contract as a Christian artist. So we went, and we lost, just to bring the end of the story, and then we'll kind of back up. And, uh, and so we went, and we sang, and we, we, sang, we, we sang a couple songs, and we had judges. We were in front of a bunch of people, and then they write the notes, and they give you the notes. This is pre-email, maybe even pre-internet, all right? And uh, so this is pre-email, so we get this written form that gives us the judges their thoughts. They heard us sing maybe two songs. I don't remember exactly, but they heard us sing a couple songs, and they said... The tall blonde. Now, I'm the only tall one in the family, and I'm only one of two blondes, but then they said the tall male blonde. That's the only one in the family. So it was me, all right? The tall blonde is haughty. I didn't know what haughty meant at the time. If you don't know what haughty meant, it's not a compliment, all right? It's arrogant. He's prideful. Now, my reaction showed... Where, how humble I was, all right? I, we're staying in this campground. Everybody, all these people are staying in all these campgrounds, all this kind of stuff, and there's this lodge. And I knew the judge was in the lodge, so I dropped what I was doing. I took off running, sweating, going to find the judge, and I was going to let him know I was not prideful. <laughs> you see the problem? In four and a half minutes... He knew something about my behavior because it's very easy for us to pick out, to see, and to know in our spirits when someone is doing something for public recognition. The performance had become the end goal for me. The performance in that moment had become the end goal. Now, it's taken me 32 years to admit all this, all right? But the performance had become the end, the standing on the street corner, the letting everybody know, yeah, man, I like to sing. Yeah, I can hit that note. Yeah, I can pray like this. Yes, I can give like this. Yes, I can fast like this. The public recognition, Jesus is examining the action in chapter 5, and in chapter 6, he's saying, but let's make sure the attitudes, the motives, and the intentions are what is launching your behaviors, not the other way around. Because one's going to have a short shelf life. You're going to get some praise and you're going to get some accolades and people are going to tell you you've done a great job, but then it's over and that's your reward. He says, listen, go in private and let your heavenly father reward you with intimacy, with growth, with wisdom, with knowledge, with strength. Go in those moments. The private preparation in that moment for me or lack thereof was on full display. Now again, Matthew 5-7 through 7 is one sermon, and its purpose is to help us to know how we exist in this broken world to bring glory to God, how we exist to lead others, to impact and shape our community. As I said, we'll come back to chapter, verses 9-15 through 15 next week. But I want you to see verse 16 for a couple of reasons. We'll even explain 16 through 18 and fasting a little bit more two Sundays from now. But I want you to see the pattern again that Jesus gives in verse 16. He says, and when you fast, when you fast, you can go back up 
You can go back up to verse 5. You can go back up to verse 2. You can go on to verse 6. You can go on to verse 7. And you can see Jesus uses the same word. It is a command. It is when you give, when you give, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you fast. He never says if. So Jesus is not saying you have an option of giving, praying. You have an option of fasting. No, he's saying when you. These are fundamental. You're going to do these. As a follower, as the disciples, as they're going to walk this earth, post Jesus ascending into heaven, when you guys are walking, when you are fellowshipping, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, over and over he's letting us know this is not optional in church. It's not optional. It's not a if you pray. It's not if you give. It is when you do these things. He says in verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Have you ever met somebody who is spiritually miserable? And they like to let you know they're spiritually miserable and for what reason? Oh, man, I'm, can you just, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so famished, but I'm fasting. I mean, they disfigured their faces. I don't even want to do that on camera, right? They're contorting their faces to let everybody know, oh, I'm so, so holy, so hungry, but I'm fasting. And Jesus says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There's the phrase again. There's the pattern that Jesus has in verse 17. That was an amen. We'll take it. But when you fast, anoint your head. So when you fast, here's what you will do. Anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, in my years of ministry, I've never had to go to somebody who I know to be someone who fasts and to let them know that their fasting, their actions, and their attitude don't match because most of the time you don't know people who fast. They do it. And the other reason why I don't think that happens is because when you fast properly and you fast intentionally, what does it do? It brings you into intimacy. It brings you into brokenness. It brings you into forgiveness and aligns you with the heart of God that it's just counterintuitive to fast and say, let me tell everybody what happened while I fasted. It can happen. But here he's saying, just don't let anybody know. Just go in private. You need to teach someone, teach someone. You want to explain to someone, explain to someone. But if you, you got to stand up on a Sunday and say, man, I did this for this long and I'm more spiritual than you. That's your reward. Not intimacy with the Lord. Our actions and our attitude must be in unison to bring glory to God. So here's where this message has grown as, as I preached it a couple times this morning. Here's where I think the action is for us as a church. We are a church of action. Um, by and large, you... You are a church of action. You do all types of trips. We go to all kinds of places. We had a team get back from New York last night. Um, we've got 
teams that are doing all types of stuff. We have some of the arts. We've got all these actions, all these things that we are doing in public. But let me encourage you and encourage me to do something. Let's examine our actions and our attitudes. And let's make sure that as we are doing these, the purpose is to not get a stamp on a passport. The purpose is to not let somebody know that I did a trip and you didn't do a trip. The purpose is not to let another church know that we did more trips than you did. Who absolutely cares, right? That the purpose is to say, hey, God allowed me to go and I give glory to God for using me. I want my action and my attitude to line up. I don't want to give recognition to myself, to somebody else, to a team leader, to a pastor, to a worship leader. I want to give glory to God. And our first and our second service, both of those services, we had young ladies in our church, in our children's ministry, that pronounced that they'd given their lives to Jesus. And I, I think it's an amazing thing to see. Almost every Sunday this summer, a, a student or an adult or a teenager has given their lives to Jesus. And, and we're not filling out a report to let other people know how many people coming forward. We're just saying, we're just thanking God for the ones that God is bringing for His glory, for His purpose, to mature, to disciple, to grow. Because why? Because we are the kingdom of heaven on earth. And if we don't do these things, and if our attitudes don't match, then the world is going to continue to call us hypocrites. We need to examine, I need to examine and make sure that my actions and my attitude align for the purpose of giving glory to God. Let's pray this morning.